0: This is Undisciplined, Academic by Nature, Undisciplined in Practice. I am Dr. Karee Banton, Director of African and African American Studies and Professor of History at the University of Arkansas. Now let's get into it. Judge Wood and I, I think he perhaps does not Remember this, but we met a good while ago uh, at CLC Church. You you had a few like little zingers there. And also, I uh, was so like, I
1: speaking at church?
0: Uh, no, you weren't speaking at church. I think we were just in church together. And uh, we, uh, Roderick and I, had attended church with Marvin and Nicole. Oh, Nicole. I still remember this,
1: Nicole, this morning. That's yeah. awesome. The good people. Yes.
0: <laughs> we met then, but since then, you have. Been an outsized presence in Washington County. I can't turn, you know, too many places and not hear your name. And so it's very refreshing as someone who is in the discipline of African and African American studies to have such a diverse group of individuals in all these different groups and professions. Um, that we can point to in um, the subject area and say, here are people doing the kinds of things that African and African-American studies is concerned about. Uh, So Judge Woods is the Washington County judge, the chief executive officer for the county government. And he has had a vast experience in both the public and private sector Um, serving as deputy Secretary of State, doing uh, a bunch of service for the state of Arkansas. And so we would just like to, you know, welcome you and thank you for taking the time to be with us today.
1: Well, again, thank you for having me. And now I'm recalling uh, you and Roderick, uh, I, again, watching Roderick grow up and watching Marvin and Nicole before they got married and watching them come together. Marvin used to tease us about being married and he, hey, let's go to Dixon Street. And, <laughs> and oh, you guys got to go get permission. Ah, ha, ah, ah. ha. And then I said, boy, you about to marry Nicole? Watch what happens. <laughs> He's been on lockdown. So anyway, yes. and, and has become quite the man. And so thank yes, you very both much.
0: him and Marvin are quite indeed. Uh, yeah, believe, you know, remarkable. They are. Yes. Thank you for having me, though. Uh, thank you, thank you. Just to give the listeners a kind of sense of who you are, where did you grow up? Where Where do you come from? Where Where well, are Doc,
1: you from? I, I, Doc, I grew up in the uh, city of Chicago. Grew up there in Jeffrey Manor, Roseland, and Jeffrey Manor, two communities. No, not so much for all their great, for uh, normally stuff. They Probably what you hear about in the news today, yeah. a lot of gang, a lot of drug uh, activities and all. But we were poor growing up, and those were the communities, and but very tight-knit communities. I had a bunch of mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, you couldn't get in trouble down the street because that mother would get exactly. on you. By exactly, By the time you got home, your mother already knew about it, and you got in trouble again. But right. So I grew up in the south side of Chicago. I uh, went to uh, grade school and high school there, then went to school up in uh, Iowa. Came back to Chicago and um, worked there before. A little company uh, who's pretty big in Arkansas had recruited me. I worked for them while I was in college in Iowa. Uh, and Where
0: did you go in Iowa?
1: I, Iowa State, uh-huh. Ames, Iowa. This is a school I went and I was working while I was there at a little company called Walmart. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I said, boy, the last thing I want to do after I graduate from college is work in retail anymore. And that was hard work even. In, 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 uh, and the only people who wanted to hire me were retailers because he's got work experience. And I end up coming back to Chicago and I worked as a store manager with Woolworth. Uh, you guys are too young to remember that, but that was original Five and Dimes. We and- remember Woolworths. Woolworth? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it did that for a number of years before I got into auditing state uh, banks in the state of Illinois. Then I got called to um, become assistant director at the University of Chicago. I used to travel around the world to recruit people to get their masters in business, come to Chicago and get their masters in business. And uh, Walmart happened to be at one of these recruiting events and said, hey, we're preparing for Y2K. Uh, and this is like 1996, 97, and we would love to have you come down and help us recruit and bring people as we prepare for uh, the year 2000. I'm like, I'm not coming to Arkansas. I can do it anywhere else, but Arkansas, are you kidding me? And um, they said, it's not what you think. And it was exactly what I thought. It was small and uh, but my wife loved it, and, mm. and so we came down here. Now, I said, We'll be here two years, honey. And 27 years later, here we are. Oh man, <laughs> so that's everyone's it, it, story. It is. You it know, is.
0: there's something about this area that keeps people, maybe it's the small. Feel community, it is. It's all you know. About it. So your educational experience. What did you study in college? I,
1: was, I studied business. Well, prior to going to Iowa State, I went. I went to Nile Seminary. I was going to be a, a priest. Really? Oh yeah. What, oh, my. what inspired See, that? Just that? So much. Oh yeah. I, 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 I was. I my. Uh, I come out of a uh, Catholic family and uh, very involved in the Catholic Church. Were you an altar boy? I was an altar boy. I can do. I took four years of Latin in, in high school. I went to St. Francis D. Sales High School. I just got to seminary uh, school in Nile uh, Seminary, and I said, I really want children. Well as a Catholic priest you can't have kids and I'm like, ah. <laughs> and maybe I was thinking like a just a young 16, 17, 18 year old boy right. you know and so I say'm I'm, I'm leaving that went to Iowa State and but I, I think part of that just stayed as part of who I am, my my faith walk and and so uh, I went in fact, I got my master's in Christian leadership in, in here in Arkansas, so really? it, oh yeah, so it has never really left me. Per se. I, I just continue to have that walk, but I got a bunch of kids and now <laughs> the so grandkids. You, you, so.
0: But you kind of moved away from Catholicism? No,
1: I did. Well, when I met my wife and she wasn't Catholic. She <laughs> was Baptist. And she she struggled with trying to get with the, the Catholic piece. And mm-hmm. I kind of struggled getting with this whole Baptist thing. And so we started shopping, if you will, or yeah. looking for a church together. And we found a, interesting enough, we found a Methodist church in Chicago, a AME Methodist church. So we went shopping around a little mm-hmm. and we found Christian Life Cathedral. And been there for twenty-seven years now.
0: Oh wow!
1: Non-denominational and just kind of kids loved and thrived it and thrived in it. And so just really a good good reflection of what I think the Northwest Arkansas region is like. So, you know, I, again, I was found in the streets. Uh, again, in the streets, found as a, as an infant in a box. Mm-hmm. Easy for me to, and and I struggled. I did struggle, and, and, and I didn't go to uh, uh, have any therapy and all, but I struggled wondering why. If you was don't I? mind me asking,
0: yes. could you, you know, talk a little bit about that kind of a struggle sure. and how you overcame it?
1: I, I don't know how. <laughs> no more. A lot of prayer, a lot of writing, uh, uh, journaling, if you will, but I also had a lot of support in my family, my the people who adopted me. But growing up, I wondered why was I giving up for adoption? What did I do? What was so bad that I did that my parents would say, we got to get this kid away. So
0: you felt abandoned? Oh,
1: absolutely. Knowing that I was adopted. That's all I knew. And Mm -hmm. that was only, I think I shared, 12 years ago I found out that I was actually abandoned. Now, to be adopted and given up for adoption is one thing. Mm -hmm. 12 years ago as a grown grown adult to find out that you were left in a box in the street, that just really, but had I, so me growing up as a teen, we go through it. Did you act out? Uh I had my Mohawk days where I, where I grew out my Mohawk. <laughs> you could have moved. Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> I, and I told you I wanted to be a priest. So I mean I did, but I also had a responsible a parent mom and dad who, who allowed me to wear the Mohawk and until she said, Not in my house. You or you had your your expression sure. time. Now get that that get that cut your stuff off your head. You're still the oldest of your brothers and sisters, and you you have a responsibility. And so I got a lot of that early on.
0: Were your brothers and sisters also adopted? No.
1: So my parents couldn't have any kids, and so they went to the uh, orphanage downtown to foster a little girl. And they saw me and said, nope, we're going to foster this little boy. And they started foster caring me, and next thing you know, she gets pregnant, have my brother, and gets pregnant again, have my sister, get pregnant again, have my brother. So it was almost like the Lord said, go get this kid first. And then I'll give Because she wrote in her high school yearbook, I want a house full of kids and be a teacher. She became a teacher, but no kids. And so she went and got started foster care me, and then she got a house full of kids. So it's
0: just a, a black woman also from yep. the South Side yep. as well? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> but my struggle, even, even... So having the responsibility of uh, brothers and sisters looking up to what am I doing? How am I doing? You know, you're the oldest. You're responsible. You, you can't... Your baby brother doesn't... Whatever those... Th- all those things that old, our older siblings get, that's kind of what I was going through. Yeah. But I also had this you're teenagers you're going through puberty you're going through you no. Know, oh man is she going to ask me to prom can I ask her to go and she says no you know, it's just stuff it's yeah. just life your your body is going through changes for me I had that extra layer of yeah. who do I look like why who, did who, I, who I who am I who am I so when did you
0: discover of... that you were adopted
1: always, Oh, my parents always told me that I was I just didn't understand the gravity of what it meant until I was probably in uh, mid to middle, middle middle school going to grade school dang so I was actually giving away, my name changed. I remember it changing from Thompson to Wood, the people who adopted. Do you I remember ad- that? Yeah, because I was 10 years old when I got adopted. So I remember going to court and the judge asking, Do you love your mom? Yeah. Uh, your name's going to change from Thompson to Wood. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so I remember all that. I, so again, very, very, but I, the struggle of, what did I do, and why was I giving up for adoption? To deserve this? I, then I got beyond. Okay, maybe it wasn't me. Maybe she was a prostitute and didn't have time for it. Maybe she was too young. Maybe she was too old. Am I a product of incest, or, uh, you know, I, was it interracial Your mind relation? All, all, oh, oh, and every, and it wasn't a quick one. I think about, were they an interracial relation that wasn't acceptable mm-hmm. back then, and they had to do this where she was too old, she was too young, all these type of things. And each scenario that I would play in my head would go months, two months, before I get to a place where, you know what, I guess it doesn't matter she had me. I guess it didn't matter she had me. And that's the only thing that kind of kept me going on. I guess it didn't matter she had me until I found out 12 years ago. Not only did she put me up for adoption, she left me out in the street. Oh, that really took me out. Until so I the found the guy who found me, and he said, "Well, she must have loved you because she put you in a place where you can be could found. be Seen, okay. She could have left you in the alley. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm growing at this point, and I always, I always fantasized about who this person was and what struggles they were going through, or could have right. left that, that, that this kid out there and all. Uh, and now, you know, a couple of weeks back, I just meet my my biological sister, and it's just been a, a, a huge family. So when all.
0: he tells you that. If she puts you in a lit place for somebody to find you, that was a relief for you? I
1: had, I had already reconciled that years ago. Uh, again, being the oldest of brothers and sisters and me trying to think of, do I go to college and all this type of thing, going to go into the ministry, um, was God has said to me, audibly to me, I've been with you the whole time. What you're searching for is a physical likeness and a physical mom and dad that most people take for granted. Yeah, I, your dad, has been here the whole time. I've been with you, and I'm never going to leave. And so that kind of helped help me at least work, work through the fact that, okay, I, I wasn't abandoned. I wasn't alone. I did have someone that I can speak to and write to and, and cry and share what was going on with me when mama couldn't understand the one who adopted me because she, she just— didn't understand when I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're going to help me find my birth parents. And and she just broke down and cried. She my thought she wasn't enough? I, I wasn't a good enough mom. What? You're yeah. you going to leave me? I, I don't want another woman telling me what to do. Why do you think I want to go? That <laughs> had nothing to do. But she couldn't understand that. That
0: hole in your heart. Oh,
1: right. Until, mm-hmm. And I didn't understand why she was... Acting the way she was until I got married and had a kid.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh,
1: it's all about protection. She didn't know what I would find. She didn't want me to be hurt by something. Mm -hmm. And now I'm thinking about just finding all this out at this age of a month or two ago. I don't know if I could have handled all that back when I was 17 when I wanted to know it all. Right. You know, it's just so. So all of that has just been so. Going back to why do people medicate and mm-hmm. do drugs and all yeah. that stuff? I think individually we are all working through something. All kinds of things. Absolutely. All kinds and of how things. do we manage through that? And, and what kind of support mechanisms do we have? And who are we leaning and on? And do you have
0: purpose? Because you had purpose? a purpose. You, oh, your mom always oh. told you you have to take care of your, your brothers and sisters. <laughs> exactly. So, and, so you were driven. You oh were my ambitious. <laughs> I, And
1: I, I was very. I was a very grateful kid i i mean i probably overdid it i used to thank her all the time for adopting me and she would get so mad because most kids don't thank their parents until they get the you no know, nba trophy or you no know, hey mom love you dad you know that type of thing i used to thank her as a kid all the time because i know i could still be in the orphanage if she did not come and get me and she would get mad don't do that i, I did everything but birth you stop saying that because she didn't want me to f- think You'll, differently, it differently I, yeah. but i i did i i do know and that's we got four thousand kids in the foster system here in Arkansas, and and, it, and again, they're looking for that forever found home, that forever family, and all. So anyway, your question about why is the country so uh, medicated, and back before it was drugs, it was alcohol, and and again, I think we are all on this search for meaning and purpose and right. hope, and mm-hmm. uh, and you you're going to find it in some some form or fashion. Mm-hmm.
0: Did they have an African american studies program at your university? Oh,
1: I, we had I, I can't remember if they had the studies and class they probably did I didn't I didn't take any of those classes but again very involved with Greek life uh, there so they had a uh, the black the yeah. black Greeks there there they had the Black Cultural Center. In fact, I was honored to go back to Iowa State University probably five years ago. Dr. George Jackson is probably uh, he, he passed away wow, uh, it's probably now almost 10 years ago, but he was the one who went to Chicago to recruit blacks to go to Iowa State. Iowa State was back then in the Big Eight schools, and a lot of the Big Eights were suffering, if you will, they're challenged with not having minorities on campus. And if they did get minorities on campus, they would not matriculate. And so he was really focused on how do I not only get black and minority students here, but how do I make sure that they have the things that they need to graduate? And so I look at what he did, because I recruited MBA students at the University of Chicago and National University, but I looked at how he did that, and that was some of the same things that I did. And so they asked me, would I come back and receive uh, uh, read a uh, proclamation for his family as they gave him a post award for his career and commitment to students at Iowa State University Mm -hmm. and that was again because of my love for him and how he did what he did so anyway they didn't have the classes but my engagement with blacks in fact um the big eight schools would get together Mm -hmm. once a year to talk about how are blacks and minorities doing on your, your big eight schools and talk about those issues and how are we going back to our own respective campuses to to work through that, to implement and share those things. Dr. Jackson was critical in some of that because he did know that a lot of it was coming out of maybe broken homes, single family homes and all. So he fostered that work. People can go to his home, he and his wife. So they kind of got some of that. Or if they did have the connected family at home, but going to a, a majority white institution, do you feel kind of out of water? Right. And so they just fostered those types of things. Uh, holidays, if people could, couldn't could uh, have enough money to go back home for the holidays, They create. we created those types of things. Yeah. So it was a great environment for students to study it's not a whole lot to do in Iowa mm-hmm. um, so but you also stay connected because you also had some of this family uh, for the Dynamics. folks who came in there mm-hmm. exactly right
0: so who in your community was a Catholic why you decided to be a
1: kappa so there was a guy who well, I was in grade school uh his name was Doc, uh, Fred Mills. Fred uh-huh. Mills was a Kappa uh, uh-huh. and had just got my first paycheck-paying job in my freshman year in high school. It was at the church, right. and uh, it was working as a uh, camp counselor. And I was talking to him about some things, and, and he said, well— uh, what are these guys talking about? I asked him a question. I don't know what that is. He said, Some guys in the camp who's talking about uh, neophyte. What, what's a neophyte? Mm-hmm. Never heard of that word. And he was saying, Well, neophyte is somebody who's new. They just entered into and uh, they're fresh in and, and normally here associated with sororities and fraternities. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a member of Kappa Alpha Psi. And as he starts talking about his experience and what frater- I stopped l- listening to what he was saying and I just started thinking about him as a person married, a jewel in the community, great kids, sons. I mean, so I just, I want to do that when I grow up. Mm. Uh, get to college so i always wanted to get to college and at freshman year I became a Kappa to be just like him and uh so again it was just he a he had such an impression oh uh, because he was the one who helped get young people to work mm-hmm. jobs in the community wow. uh his career his family you look at he and his wife they and they had raised two get two sons and so i just again just listening to him talk about neophyte and fraternity i stopped hearing that and just started thinking about the person i'm like right. okay out of all of no other fraternity guy has talked to me yet maybe right. if a Iota oughta come up and say something. To me. No, it would never happen. <laughs> 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 Maybe if Elsa had come up there, it'd just been Kappa. I was born to be a Kappa. No, no, no. But anyway, <laughs> that's, so that's kind funny. of. And so in 1983, I, I went ahead and became a Kappa And I became president of the Kappas up here in Northwest for about three years. And Got my lifetime award. Got my life ring. I'm serious. I'm all love my capers. Oh man! So
0: you can you can do the oh
1: absolutely. Now I use my cane to to, to (laughs) keep me up. I don't twirl it as much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: if you didn't take any African and African American studies courses, a significant part of what we do is kind of these, you know, experiential experiences, uh, study abroad and so on. And you do one of the things that we do at the University of Arkansas, which is go and study abroad to Ghana. Mm. So you oh, got, yes. to Ghana. How, got to Ghana. How did yeah, that happen? A couple of
1: times. So I... I oh, Fascinating, and always wanted to be go to the continent, the motherland. And you always had that. Dream. Oh, absolutely. And so uh, when I became uh, deputy secretary of state, we secretary and I, we were working with anybody, anybody outside of the state coming into the state. We welcome them, we host them, we make sure that they understand and navigate if they're especially trying to do business. Because anybody in doing business in the state of Arkansas will register through the state of Arkansas. If anybody wants to do business outside of the state of Arkansas, in particular another country, we write up and give them certifications or apps still so people know if they're doing, want to do business, say, in Ghana, they can go there with certifications saying, yep, Secretary of State of Arkansas said that this is a bona fide business. We can do business with them. So you can s- reduce the type of uh, shenanigans, criminalization, that type of thing. Anyway, so uh, we had an opportunity to go. uh, Ghana has spent some time in Arkansas, spending time with Rice and Rice and some of the other countries, trying to figure out how can we increase the yields that Arkansas does in our continent, Mm -hmm. uh, in our country, and what about some of the other business? So we said we'll 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 go over. So we did a ten day business trip there. Meeting various businesses and uh, owners of business and talking to them about ag and uh, commerce and those type of things. So it was really an unbelievable, fascinating trip. They had done research on us because they had not had anybody in Ghana in that part of Ghana, in particular the Volta region, Mm -hmm. since President Clinton. That Mm -hmm. was like in 1992. No dignitaries, if you will, from the state of uh, from the from the country of the U.S. back over there. And so when we came, it was full blown. Uh, motorcades, and the whole time we were there. They, I, it was well beyond anything I could ever imagine. The, the plane landed, and here comes the motorcade coming to the plane. They got off the plane and put us in the motorcade, the motorcycles, escorts, and that was for all 10 days that we were there, just just mind-blowing. But they had done that research because, one, they hadn't had anybody elected at that level since President Clinton, and they wanted to encourage us and, and thank us. Uh, but for me, it was like this is my 50th birthday, mm. and I'd rather not been on that trip. I wanted to go back to Chicago and and go back to the orphanage, which I came out of, which still exists. It's no longer an orphanage, but the place is still there, and they still feed the homeless, and they still take care of young uh, uh, women who are trying to work through uh, things. And I wanted to go back to that place because that's where I started in life, and I couldn't because I was on this trip. And right. they had done research and said, you are a foundling. And we are, they're very prevalent in, in the continent of Africa, uh-huh. in the continent of India. I'm like, how do you even know? And they said, oh, we did our research on you guys before you came. One of the last days there was my birthday. And we got, we got to do something before we finish up. They take me back to the governor's mansion and they had a birthday, surprise birthday for me. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a baby. I cried. And why are you crying? We're celebrating with you because the foundling is a kid that is uh, a abandoned, they mm-hmm. lost, and many of them die. The parent has their kid and and leave them because they can't afford to take care. Of them. Many of them die. The ones that live are called foundlings because they are found. Right. You've been found, and mm-hmm. look at you. You're deputy secretary of state. Oh my gosh, you're one of us. So we're celebrating with you, and all. And I cried even more because you no, know, <laughs> the, and they had a cake there that they had found pictures on the internet and scanned it onto the cake. Mm -hmm. as they were singing in Ghanaian, I forget the love, tree. tree. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I'm just so... And so the second time I went, I'm like, wow, and we get to the Cape Coast Castle. Right. And to think, I'm standing there with the Secretary of State, Mark Martin, and we're standing there thinking, and again, I'm crying again. He's crying. He's that way as well. To think that, to not know where I come from, to be abandoned in the streets, to be standing at that place, to think that possibly, possibly my... Origins. My mm-hmm. forefathers probably were slaves standing right here mm-hmm. and navigated all the way to America. And now here I am, their descendants standing here yeah. as the Deputy Secretary of State at that time running for so judge. So it's a double
0: meaning for oh, you yes. because as somebody who grew up in an orphanage and as an African in the diaspora who was kind of homeless that's, that's as exactly well. Right. That's exactly yeah. right. Exactly
1: right. Well, and then you also know they have the uh, uh, the signage on the right. Coastal hey, coast castles that talked about uh you're you're leaving
0: yeah
1: and you'll never be back. Mm-hmm. And then they now have Welcome Home. Yeah. As a and then the Sankofa, which is the yeah uh the, the bird the, the that bird looks, that looks look back walks forward but looks, looks back. That's right, yeah. never forgetting where you come from mm-hmm. as you go forward in the future. And it's how powerful that really is mm-hmm. when I got there to actually say, Man I, I can't forget that. We shouldn't forget that. because The that's,
0: Kofa bird is the emblem of our African and African-American studies program. Here. Is it? there's mm-hmm.
1: a powerful, I don't know if you've seen Symbolism. that one, but it's a great, powerful it's symbol.
0: A, it's what is called, Matthew, and a Dinkra symbol, and with Africans— Lots of philosophy is hidden in symbolism, Mm -hmm. right? So the Sankofa bird is one of those. It's a bird that's walking forward, but its neck is turned back. It's like, go back and get Mm. what you've lost so you can go forward, right? It's it's almost like that, you know, people without a history, you Mm. know? You have to know your history in order to know your future.
1: That's exactly right. County judge. I think we talked about that um, being the first black county judge in Arkansas's history. Just mind blowing. I had no clue, no idea, because when I won, I went straight to work. And I just started looking through archives that I'm responsible for. And I started looking at some of the first property in this county that was ever sold were slaves, not mm-hmm. not a house, not a car. Yeah. It was, a, I'm like, wow. And to think a little short term, because this years space later, is
0: being settled with slaves. That's exactly right. Here mm-hmm. I am
1: now the judge over this 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 short 200 years and so again that to not so is is
0: that, that for you like a story of progress in washington County? oh
1: I, I think it's a story of america the piece I always go back to, we got major issues in this country. But mm-hmm. I think even when the the founding documents of this country were put together, and we talked about the preamble, in order to form a more perfect union. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not perfect. And they said, in order to perform. So that's the work that we all have to do. And... From the president of the John Quincy Adams, who said, Hold on, we got these documents that say that all people are created equal, but it's not true because we got slaves. Mm -hmm. And and so, but for a country to say, okay, we got to reconcile that. Or if you're white and and didn't have property, you couldn't vote. Or if you're a a woman, Mm -hmm. you couldn't vote. Mm -hmm. Well, again, most countries, are they going to really reconcile and, and, and to overcome and become what they're, they're, say, these ideals are all about. And we have. And so today we got more people being able to vote and got presidents who are black. Whereas when this country got started, that, even, that was even never a thought. Maybe for people who are dreaming and believing and hopeful, who had a Christian walk or a walk of faith, that may, not now, not me, but maybe my kid or maybe my great-grandkid can see that. And so anyway, I see all that as, as the, the, the success of a U.S., that people around the world uh-huh. still sees this place called America as a beacon of hope, a place where they can be and do and have in this country that they can't be do and have in their country. Again, with all the frailties that we have, with all the things that we see as issues and concerns, other countries like, is, is, is that what you guys are anxious about and fussing about? Come to my country. You can't, you can't even articulate it, let alone say it. And you can't do. I always want a piece of it. I just want a shot at this, quote unquote, American dream.
0: Sure, we're making a more perfect union. So, is that what inspired your foray into politics?
1: No, it really wasn't. <laughs> My, I, 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 and I, I, I don't want to be known as a politician. I don't want to be. I, I do not. I'm not. I don't like. I don't like politics. But I do like serving. I do think that we all should have an opportunity to, to be a public so servant. So you
0: think politics or a politician is a bad word? I
1: think most people believe it is. I, I don't know if anybody say, oh, my gosh, my kid wants to be a politician. That's so great. <laughs> now, if they say, hey, he wants to be a president, that's great. He wants to be judge. That's great. And I do think that it does have uh, uh, it gets, it's a ba- – it gets a bad rap, like being a law enforcement officer. They get a bad rap because you got bad officers, you got bad politicians, you got mm-hmm. bad teachers. But when I speak of politicians, I, that was never anything on my radar. Again, it was mom and dad going through a divorce, mom saying, you got to take care of your brothers and sisters. And I'm like, what do I do? And so I started by being involved, never knowing it was politics. I just thought it was keep my brothers and sisters from getting caught up in gangs and drugs. It was helping other moms and dads in the community have a place for their young people and all. And next thing I know, it leads to working on local school council, and next thing I know, is working with board of election, and it's just me bl- being engaged in the places that I live, and then all of a sudden, the whole party stuff started to come alive, and like, oh my gosh, and and I couldn't. What I, do
0: you mean by party stuff?
1: I, I'm just doing public service. Didn't mm-hmm. understand all the dynamics of party. Well, in Chicago, there is no parties. There's just one, the Democrat Party. is a Democrat machine. I didn't know any different mm-hmm. until I came back from college and. And started doing like, why is this
0: stuff so So, were you grown? involved in democratic politics in Chicago? Not
1: at all. It was because because you didn't have to. It was just every everything was. Okay. It was when I came back from college. You know, you go to school for what mm-hmm. to learn how to think and ask mm-hmm. questions and to be more. And so I came back and I couldn't understand why some of the same stuff was going on in the city. The same work was same broken things. And uh, I was talking to an older guy who was a capitalist, mm-hmm. and he said, "Well, first of all, you you, you talking to me like I'm a Democrat?" And I'm like. Everybody in Chicago is a Democrat. Black, white, old, young. He said, no, I'm I'm a Republican. He's an older black man. I was like, what? In Chicago? I was just stunned. He said, in fact, I'm a third generation Republican. In Chicago, get out of here. He said, well, part of it is because you have no idea about Republicans. Again, because everything in Chicago is, is Democrat. The machine, everybody knows about that. And then he started talking about Republicans, I'm like, oh, my gosh. look like scales are falling off my eyes because it lined up with more of who I am and what I believe as mm-hmm. opposed to me. And his comment was everything that you are working toward and on, you go and vote against it on Tuesday. Whoa! Because he started like wow, switch parties in what 1988. Are the, what are the one of the things? One of the big ones. For you. One of the big ones was life. I'm a I'm a big foster care and adoption piece. But yet he said you vote for people who are not. They're for, more pro-choice. They're about uh, having the ability to abort. And all. I'm like, yeah, I am voting that way. Why would I? Uh, he talked about uh, the answer is the government. And you're you're out here trying to. You started your youth group. You started doing this. So you're trying to engage people to do and do some things for themselves, as opposed to letting the answer be government. That's not where and so again, as I started unraveling, I'm like, yeah, that's that's true. That's it. So that started me to start spending more time. Okay now i see ah and it lined up far more with my beliefs my values and so in 1988 i switched parties and i haven't looked back since now, I so do you think were a
0: democrat at first and then uh, my whole life parties? i was a democrat because well
1: ah. i say my whole life i only had probably one election 1988 uh, was the first time i was able to switch and, and vote republican so i only had maybe one or two elections prior to that because i was again in college uh, so i wouldn't have that many elections so i but my whole life around the daily machine, I mean, everything in Chicago is just driven by, by union bosses and by, uh, uh, what's the guys, the, the ones who go, this, I, my teach my mother was a teacher. So, I, again, that's teachers all I experienced. Teachers union. Everything in Chicago uh, was the steel mills. Everything was largely big shoulders. That's, that's what it was.
0: You think if you had been in Texas, maybe it would have been a different story.
1: Oh, it probably would have been the other way. the <laughs> yeah, <exactly. just>, <laughs> circumstances, environments that you're living in. Well, what's
2: interesting about Illinois? I grew up in Southern Illinois, okay, and it's a very rural, very conservative, conservative. part of the state. state. That's right. And growing up, everyone I know claimed to be a Democrat, but no one's no one's real like political beliefs aligned with the Democratic Party. But there were so many folks who, uh, you know, even in local elections, they would put a D next to their name, even though they were in every way, shape, or form a Republican because they knew that if they wanted someone to vote for them in a primary, they had to have a D next to their name because no one was going to grab a Republican primary ballot. That's exactly right. And I'm sure you had that same experience In fact, when
1: I was a board election judge, at the election day, i was at the Republican booth and they were like, oh, they couldn't find any Republicans to sit down at this. And I'm like, no, I I, I choose to be here. And again, yeah, just because. <laughs> be uh, uh, yeah, it's just. It, even now, I mean, yeah, at 20, 20, 30 years later, I still get folks like, still, scratch, scratch their head. Me running for county judge here in Washington County was just a unbelievable piece because, again, I don't think you can win county judge without getting some Fayetteville votes. Uh-huh. The rest of the county may be relatively conservative, but the city of, Chicago, uh, city of Fayetteville is considered probably one of the most progressive cities in the state of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Well, how would I pull that off? Well, I didn't know if I would be able to pull it off. All I knew is who I am and what I've done. I spent 27 years in Fairville, my kids went to school here, I was in the soup kitchens here, I mean, I I was at the the local, uh, at the university, I did all kind of work here doing the same stuff I did in Chicago. And I really think it was people who said, I know this guy. I know uh-huh. his kids. I know what he does. I don't understand why he's a Republican. but I'm going to vote for him. And they crossed <laughs> they, over for the first like, time. Uh, they, they,
0: they, 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 let's look past the Republican exactly thing. Exactly right. <laughs> <And> i <laughs> and hold my I know. And vote for I, Judge I, Yeah, right.
1: Because <laughs> I know, I see the Democrat <laughs> name on there, but I don't know that Democrat. I know this guy. I know what he's been doing. I see his kids. I know what he's doing at the church. I know what he's doing with business. He recruited and brought business. He recruited and brought me here. I mean, and so they did. And then they brought me in a second time. So uh-huh. therein lies where the party piece at, at the end starts to say, okay, what are you doing? What is the result? So when you ask the question about what is that to be the first black county judge in Arkansas's history, blew me away. I just knew for sure that would have, That happened a long time ago. It hadn't. Uh, Why? Because, again, if I'm thinking about parties, the the Democrat Party had run it, run the state for probably 130 some years before Republicans took over everything. And it's only been 15 years. Republicans have had governor and uh, the Senate and House and and then all the legislative seats has always been run by Democrats. I'm thinking, well, if you're the champion of you would have had county judges and governor and lieutenant governor. But that hasn't been the case. And for whatever that reason is, it is. Here I am. Well, we
0: know the reason in terms of uh, the history of, uh, you know, extrajudicial violence and all of that kind of stuff. I, from, that you're saying kept... from
1: the Democrat side? I can't speak to what that what? is.
0: Well, yes.
1: Yeah. That's yeah, But I'm not on that side, so I don't know what that inner well, working is. Well, I mean, is. there's
0: a deeper history there, too, that sure. I think, um, well— is acknowledged, but I don't know if it's necessarily acknowledged by Republicans about um, because host. I'm sure you perhaps identify with the early roots of the Republican Party that and absolutely. abolitionism, oh, yeah, and, and and black civil so, rights e- politics yes, and right. all of that, and all of the early black Republicans, the majority of them no. after you know during Reconstruction, that's after the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, who exactly got into right. politics, that's right. And and then what happened then in the in the 50s and 60s, you, right? You, the going Southern to talk about strategy. I, yeah, I, <laughs>
1: I, I, I just don't know if I buy into the total strategy. I just think that at that point in time, there were people who wanted certain agendas to be met, Johnson and, and his crew, and here's how we can uh, maintain that. And we're going to come up with programs. We'll have things that we can give as a way to, uh, to bridge and bring people. And I think that may have caused more harm than good uh, at the point in time that people were uh, this men's what 60s mid 60s when all this mm-hmm. civil uh I I don't <laughs> know if there's been a true benefit here's a small example
0: a true benefit it, to whom
1: to, to the minority community that which was supposed to be the benefactor of uh the Johnson and the civil rights priests that he passed yeah. that they that they passed all this stuff Nixon didn't uh, Johnson, Nixon tried. Uh, uh, Johnson did. But well, Nixon's Kennedy guy passed.
0: came out recently to talk about how they did the whole strategy, right? Who, who's it's this like, guy? Um, uh, Lee Atwater, Atwater his yeah. Yeah. famous Atwater. interview in um, 1981, um, and just talking about on the Southern Strategy. Where mm-hmm. he said, he says, you start out in 1954 by saying N-word, N-word, N-word. By 1968, you can't say N-word that hurts you, Mm. it backfires. So you say stuff like forced busing, states' rights, Mm. and all that stuff, and you're getting so abstract. Now you're talking about cutting taxes and all of these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and a byproduct of them is black people get hurt worse than whites. We want to cut this is much more abstract than even the busing thing, and a hell of a lot more abstract than saying the N-word. Right, okay. so so he he's talking about the Southern Strategy, and I mean, you know, I I wish, uh, you know, at people like Professor Angie Maxwell was here because she writes about those kinds of things okay. in the political science department and mm-hmm. can better explain it than I can. But um, the the Southern Strategy, uh, Dixocrats, and all of that kind right, of right. stuff—it's a very fascinating sure, thing to no me doubt. because. We must know that these parties evolve over time. I, absolutely. You
1: know? I, but I think that genesis and their roots don't. I think their foundation still still remains. And so I, I, from for, in my mind, uh, um, if we are looking at, again, I was going to use that example, uh, if we were running right at about 12% of the population probably in the late 60s, early 70s, and here it is 2022, and we're still running that same population. How is that, and why is that?
0: We're running the same population of uh,
1: the the twelve percent of the country's population is black, mm-hmm. which is what it was roughly uh, in the seventies, mm-hmm. maybe a little, maybe eleven. So, so we have not really grown in population. But if I look at my uh, Hispanic brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. far less than twelve percent back then, mm-hmm. and now it pass, surpasses us in our population. Why is that, and what is the things that are? Impeding our growth in this country versus the flourishing of uh, population in other minorities.
0: Are you saying flourishing or are you saying not population growth? Just population. Population. Uh, okay.
1: And I think that has to do with some of the the politics, if you will, uh, and uh, whether it be a Planned Parenthood, whether it be government enabling or government managing versus uh, something other than. Where, if we look at again where our black population uh, where our growth was and what we were doing and where our families and where business and where those types of things blooming going, I mean, when you talk about uh, your black Wall Streets and all, we had a lot of things exactly. moving on yeah. until we moved from. Republicanism, if you will, and move to Democrat. Move from this strategy thing, or or Johnson and, and I saying, I think hey, that
0: is endemic white supremacy that you talk about oh. being a part of this nation since its inception."
1: So, so, so they're systemic. Of course. All right. So, how would the system allow the 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 the, the, the Latinos? The, no, no, no. The allow the growth and success of black prior to the burnings of, of of some of these cities like in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. If it was systemic it would never got to that place, right?
0: Uh yes because black people were helping themselves I was and saying. then when it comes to competition then they resort to extra um, judicial violence.
1: Okay. So so the, the system didn't start until after there was some success. And then the system was put in place to stop the success. This,
0: I think the system was always there, but I think black people have always tried to overcome in the face of immeasurable That's correct. Um, You know, violence and threat and dehumanization that they've always managed to push forward. And I think they've made remarkable progress sure. given what they've had to If you look at a lot of all of um, a lot of those cases from Tulsa to St. Louis to, I mean, the um, Elaine
1: here, you know,
0: Mm -hmm. um, all the the bloody summer of 1919, all of the the race massacres that happened across of these countries, what sparked them. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And what black people had done to get to that point of progress. That's correct. Based on in Tulsa, what did black people do? Get lands from the Indians. They got right. lands from the Indians, so it wasn't it wasn't a case of like, oh, you know, they were relying on the system to give them stuff. They got lands from the Indians, built up their communities, right, right. and an allegation of rape that was false, burnt their whole city to the ground.
1: That's right. So, so you're so again, is the is the country is this system, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, still in place?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still in place, but it operates differently. Okay. Because now, as as uh, Lee Atwater says, you can't say certain things explicit. Just like, um, you know, um, when slavery was abolished. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was it really abolished? If there's a loophole in the 13th Amendment that allows people to put a population of people in prison and then give them slave-like condition?
1: Hmm. So, so, <laughs> the... the... The prison is a continuance of So
0: slavery. it wasn't abolished, well, it, it wasn't was ju- transformed. Right, it wasn't
2: okay. just that people were being enslaved. It wasn't Freudian slip there. <laughs> it, wasn't, uh-huh. it wasn't just that people were being imprisoned. It was that because they are in prison, now they can perform free labor for me. And so I think what, what Dr. Banton is arguing here is that it's enslavement by another name because yeah. black folks were being imprisoned at a higher percentage rate than white folks and because black folks were being imprisoned, they were then being told to perform enslaved-like acts. And so I think that's, that's what you're, you're articulating there. I'm right? just
0: saying, if we're, if we're in a system that you're dependent, like I'm from the Caribbean, as no, right, you know, right. mm-hmm. um, when slavery ended in 18—they passed the Emancipation Act in 1833 in the Caribbean okay. to come into effect August first, eighteen 1834. And guess what they put in place? A system of apprenticeship. Mm. What is it these former so, slaves who have been doing the work and they're gonna be doing it as apprentices, the right? Same work. It but that says to you that they need labor. Sure. And they're giving the plantation owners time to adjust. Okay. So if you're in a system that this labor is so important, you can't let go of that labor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now you're going to start to criminalize things because there's a loophole. As you well know in the Thirteenth Amendment that slavery is abolished except <laughs> right you you're aware when, of when? that um, that loophole um, the Thirteenth Amendment basically says that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, mm-hmm. whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. you know what they start criminalizing vagrancy mm. All post-slavery societies, you see vagrancy in Brazil, throughout the Caribbean, in the United States, South. Vagrancy, standing around, why aren't you working? Mm. Now you're in jail, now the same conditions of slavery apply. So Douglas Blackman wrote a book called Slavery by Another Name. Lots of corporations in Atlanta, in the South, they relied upon that basically enslaved labor of African Americans after slavery ended, after the Thirteenth Amendment had been passed.
1: Okay. So, so, so again, I'm still trying to get to then, since this system is now that, mm-hmm. uh, and you can now go to prisons that have a overpopulation of minorities in particular blacks mm-hmm. uh, not because they've increased the crime it's because low crimes of just hanging in the street will incarcerate them mm-hmm. uh, and now they're in uh, but because you have such uh, governmental oversight they're not out building roads and they're not out um, they're not so the labor that you were getting is now is no labor because they're incarcerated Per se, I, I mm-hmm. guess there's some prisons. I, they may be doing some I don't know gang uh, chain gangs and cleaning up streets and all that. But yeah, a lot where, of
0: prison labor was making stuff for Whole Foods, Victoria's Secrets, paying them five cents an hour and all of that kind of stuff. Isn't that slavery like to you?
1: Is it slavery like or is it slavery?
0: It, I mean, it's slavery like. Okay. Would you would you like to be working I, in that uh, kind of condition? Because you I were want to found be working.
1: I I, I want to be working. Not I don't want to be in but jail. But your labor
0: isn't worth that, given what you're, these you're people about and I, these the, people can hire people who are free.
1: That's correct. That's exactly. what I'm saying. I would rather be free and not behind bars and all. So the real question is then: Are we working and uh, are looking to change our system, uh, in, in particular criminal justice, where where I think mm-hmm. you're saying this yeah. system piece is. Yeah.
0: we've kind of maybe made a segue because I imagine in your job as county judge that comes up when I attended the quorum mm-hmm, meeting mm-hmm. the other day right. a lot of the comments were geared towards both jail, from uh, um, the sheriff department right. and from activists that's right right there, it was it was an interesting um, it oh, was good yeah. to see this kind of democracy in action right mm-hmm. the sheriff talking about overtime and overcrowding and then you have uh have activists um, from the Arkansas Justice Reform Coalition talking about all the other ways that instead of expanding the jail, that sure. the money could be spent because who are the kinds of prisoners in the yeah. jail and, you know, what are they in there for? Sure.
1: So so from if you ask the sheriff, you ask me, it's not going to be the vagrants who are in there. hmm. Is going to be the ones that the the state is sending or the fed is sending who is they're crim they're they're high propensity violent or violent. The non-violent has already been the sheriff is going to release that because that's not going to be as large of a, a threat or public safety to the citizenry than the one who is. Uh, done the rape or done the, done some other violent so crime. So you're
0: saying that the majority of people in the jail are violent offenders?
1: Would be. The propensity is that, yes. That's what I would say that the sheriff would say. I have not gone to the jail and asked every person why they're in there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I know if we ask that question, though, if you ask the circuit judges, if you ask the, the sheriff who's in our jail, it's not going to be we got 800-plus people in there who are sitting on the street loitering.
0: Mm-hmm. What about people who don't pay their fines? Are they held uh, in jail? I think that's a,
1: that's part of why we have a criminal justice system. Uh, but I, even those guys, I think if you so if you fail to appear, which is what you're talking about, mm-hmm. do they get a pass?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm asking. I, I, you. I, I,
1: I think they do. Uh, if they fail to appear two, three, and four times. I don't think they do, and that, then they have a warrant out for their arrest. Now, how do they get caught and captured? If they, I don't know, because that's not where the work that I do. That's right. The, but again, mm-hmm. it's It's, it's the, the, the you have a thought that the people who are in our jails first time offenders or they're nonviolent, and I think that's um, I think it's a misnomer that the first time offenders is ones crowding up our jail with 800 plus people. Um, and I would almost say this not even the first or the second time. It's those who are repeat. In fact, I, uh, the, um, what's that group, the bail project or whatever it is, they had had projects where they were bailing the out the bail folks. reform.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And they come to find out the, 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 the people who are running in the system, whether it be the circuit judges, the, the uh, prosecutor, the ju- uh, sheriff, they can tell you, hey, I can help you figure out who you might want to do bail for. Because these are the ones that we have not seen, or these are the ones who are really struggling. But the ones that you're focusing on, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to see them back because I know who they are. It's the same thing when we built our criminal, our uh, crisis stabilization, our mental health unit. Building a mental health was to help the uh, divert those who are having mental issues from going to the jail and crowding our jail. They got issues that can be a harm to themselves or the public. And so we got to do something with them, but there was no real option for police officers. So now they have an option to take them to a mental health uh, crisis stabilization unit. The notion, though, was most of those police officers already knew who these people were. They could probably come up with lists because they have been encountering them over and over again. That's the same thing with the folks that they probably have in that jail right now. We already know who some of these violent ones are, Who's who has a propensity to not going to show up in the pier, etc. They work with it. Is it a judgment? Is it a uh, casting of a, a broad net over... Maybe, but these are the ones who are touching and seeing it every day as opposed to saying, nope, these these are all, again, nonviolent and people standing on the street loitering. Uh, and so we got to take them all and put them in jail. And so now we have people who are really violent just running the streets because we don't have a place for them. So how, how is
0: it that we were able as a county to dramatically reduce the jail population during covid and, no, it's back it wasn't up. And it
1: was across the country. And I think it was it was wrong then. I still think it was wrong because, again, there's a reason. And it should have been a reason why you had people in there. And mm-hmm. if these are high-violent people, then they shouldn't be out. And if you're saying the only reason we're letting them out because we don't want them to catch COVID, I think that was wrong. No, you end up increasing. But the crime
0: government. didn't increase if you're saying these are people with propensity I, I, towards. I, I, um, I didn't
1: say that. I'm mm-hmm. just saying that I wouldn't. I. But I'm not the sheriff. I'm not the judge, circuit mm-hmm. judge to say let everybody out. We did that across the country. Mm-hmm. And, and we're saying that crime did not go up. I think that it has across the country. I'm not just talking about Washington County. You cannot because now you're saying that whatever your behavior was that got you here, that's OK. Because this, this and so now this continues to be the loom. COVID has not gone away. We just reacted, the knee, knee reacted, and just sent everybody out across the country, get everybody out of the jail. Well, now that, quote-unquote, time has passed, the crime is gone, and so now we got it overcrowded. Again, it's not overcrowded by the non the nonviolent or the vagrant. It's it's people who are actually committing crimes. Do you not open, and again, I think that would be something to say, hey, we don't need a jail, we just need to have... More mental institutions, and again, I, I wouldn't argue that because I'm—I remember when we used to have mental institutions. And when we start shutting them across the country, where did those people go? They mm-hmm. still have mental issues. Right. Well, our, now our prisons look like a mental institution because you got a lot of people in there. So I'm, I am I'm definitely one to say, let's do those things. And the police are,
0: gonna, are being overworked if they're handling mental health issues that uh, other people... That
1: they, they, they haven't been people, trained. Absolutely yeah. right. Absolutely right. Uh, so we're on the same page. I'm all about the uh, uh, drug court. We have that. We're one of the first in the state to have that. Uh, we got now our mental health uh, crisis stabilization unit. So I'm all about doing the things is it's going to help help people get their mm-hmm. their uh, uh, true things that they need. If, if it's a drug, if it's mental health, it's not helping them being in the jail because mm-hmm. they still get when they get out, they have still got the same issues that got them in there. But, but I also we have a
0: drug problem in Washington We got a dr-
1: oh, absolutely.
0: What do you think are the reasons for that? Are people just across the country abandoned? when you see that every?
1: Across the country, the fentanyl, fentanyl, and uh, what's the other one? Uh, uh, the lace, the the the. Dr- well, it's, it's now you are talking about systemic. Mm-hmm. We got a problem. <clears throat> we got people coming across the border, and are they bringing drugs over? Absolutely. We got uh, uh, border sex. from
0: Missouri, from
1: I, I think across everywhere. When you when you when you end up having some states. I remember when the uh, 287G was brought aboard. The the uh, uh, going after those who are. Uh, here illegal, some states really pushed hard and said if you're, they would be proactive, meaning they were looking to find those who were here and, and illegal, and then some were reactive. We'll wait till you commit a crime and then we'll check your your status and all. When you have surrounding states push harder on that, well, those folks are going to leave and where do they go? They go to a state that's nice on it. When you have a, a southern border that's pretty porous, if you have people flying into the country from other areas and you don't have a good System annoying, who even had doctors who were pretty, very different than how I am ideology, but they said, we gotta do something. When you start talking about COVID, when you start talking about drugs, when you start talking about tuberculosis diseases, period, I'm a doctor first. And so when we got folks coming into the country, we don't know where they're coming and where they're going to. And then all of a sudden there's an outbreak of tuberculosis in the community. We don't know the genesis of it. So having ports of entry so we know who's coming in, do we fix our immigration system to, to better understand that so we don't have some of the trafficking that goes on as well, the mules are bringing in the drugs and all.
0: What do you think the impact of the university has been on this county?
1: I've been real appreciative of the, of the university uh, they take my money because my kid is over there and <laughs> they were taking my money before my kid got over there just like University of Little Rock just like ASU they all got my money for kids going getting their degrees and all but I, I wanted to do even more when I became county judge with them and so uh, I have I had my deputy county attorney why I had him come and intern. While he was in law school, uh, I have some of the business students come and do uh, business analysis on our budgets. So they get real work experience or real portfolio building. So when they graduate, they can speak to, hey, we were able to take one of the largest growing and fast growing counties in Arkansas and look and understand their budgets and give some feedback and talk to their, their leadership about, man, why do you guys do it this way? Have you considered doing that thing? And some of it would be out of context because they wouldn't know all of the rest of the backstory, but this, them doing their back work and the research and all for me is my way of reaching back. Cause one of them was going to be the County judge one day, you know? And so I think the university has been a good partnership, emergency services, uh, Anytime that there's a a home football game, I work with the university, I declare an emergency because they can't handle a football game with their University of Arkansas police. My sheriff's department, big as it is is, and as great as they are, they can't handle that. But me declaring an emergency, I can call other counties to come in and bring and provide because I'm responsible for public safety. Mm -hmm. Garth Brooks comes in and just blows the lid off the roof, but I can't can't have them come unless I declare an emergency. So they're having a relation with the university over the my time as county judge has been powerful because we are able to work together and, and do some things that provide public safety, still have a good time on whether it be a, a football game or a Garth Brooks concert, uh, or have them come into the county and help work through our budgets and give them some real some real live experience.
0: Or I've, as we have done come down to the archives. Oh, come
1: to the <clears> archives. <throat> that was
0: one of the best kept archives
1: in the, the state country. of Arkansas I, I in the country. I think so. I, yeah. And that was that's, a, that's another great it's a gym. I touched so many different areas and I you, that was just last week and I forgot yeah. all about that. <laughs> yeah. but you're right.
0: Yeah. So what do you wish to see for the future of Washington County what changes would you advocate for and why
1: so I uh, when I came to county judge I have a I had a mission I had a vision and, and and values that I wanted to instill in the county and my my, my, bid, my mission was that we have good leaders providing great service to the citizens of Washington County but my vision was that we have exemplary leaders providing exemplary services in the state of in the county of washington that people around the state will want to exemplify and and i tell you in six years i've been able to see that meaning i'll get a call from the governor's office or i get a call from another county hey we are thinking about doing xyz we want to do an animal shelter we understand Ledger, angela ledgerwood who's my director of uh the animal shelter can we get copies of blueprints can we talk to her to understand how you do that that's what I want. I want the rest of the state looking and saying, Washington County, that's the pinnacle. We are and in fact I six years ago I will put in my email at the back of my email. I don't know if you saw it, Washington County leading Arkansas. I've been doing that for six years. Mm. My other county judges get a little burnt because I'm I'm saying, but I gotta speak what isn't as if it were. I do operate that way. I do right. believe that I, and for the the state, Northwest Arkansas is gonna be the creme de la creme. And we'll continue to see that. we got to have good leaders to do that. we got to have some visionaries to see where we're going. Uh, and knowing that Washington County is not just going to be Washington County, just like when people talk about how great Fayetteville is, I know that they're not just talking about Fayetteville. They're talking about Bentonville as well. I know they're not talking about just Washington County. They're talking about Benton County. And so how do we get prepared and ready with this ongoing in growth and development? And do we have our infrastructure ready? Do we have our archives and our historical facts re- being cared for as we continue to grow what about our roads and bridges because as good as that university is we don't have good infrastructure roads and bridges to get to that university It doesn't matter right Right. so anyway that's my vision that we continue to be uh have vision to see where we're heading to lead the state that the state can say yep let's take a page out of that 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 page in that notebook up there
0: Wonderful! Oh my goodness, Dr. Ben, thank what, you. What an inspiring story.
1: Well, we all are. We all got a story to tell, and that's our job to make sure we tell that story. That's
0: and right. that's why we have this undisciplined podcast because the stories of African and African American lives are so varied and so mm-hmm. different, mm-hmm. but also inspiring. Oh, and so we're so happy that you made the time Absolutely. to sit down and talk with us today. And I'm sure. Your story will, you know, inspire a lot of people. Excellent.
1: Thank Thank you you so much. much. Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
0: Undisciplined is hosted by me, Karee Banton. We're produced by Matthew Moore at KUAF. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to Undisciplined for free wherever you can get podcasts. Thanks for listening.